Archangels are um, the leading angels, uh, charge of the pack. In the scriptures in the New Testament, we have two such, Gabriel and Michael. And so when we say, therefore, with the angels and the archangels and the whole company of heaven in the communion liturgy that's present at the table, we're saying it's just not regular angels, but it's these two. Um, the Catholics have uh, about four key angels, and there may be others, but in the New Testament, there's only two. There's only Gabriel and Michael. And Gabriel is about communication, helpful with that. And Michael is about protection. So you can sort that away in your faith memory somewhere if you want to do that to see where you are. Um, so today we'll take a look at various scripture verses and experiences in people's lives of how God draws the faith out of them. You know, faith is a gift that God gives us. It's the gift that comes in the person of Jesus who dies on the cross and who loves us. It's in the person of the Holy Spirit and it's the person of God who comes to us and gives us this gift of faith and then we, in our own understanding, have to respond to that or participate in that to see where that is for us. When I uh, was in, uh, oh, what, three or four years, times ago, in a parish in uh, Aberdeen, South Dakota, we had big confirmation classes. Um, we'd have in each grade anywhere from 30 to 40 kids. And so I wanted to teach them. So I thought that the way that I usually did this might work. And that's that kids came and their parents had to come with them. You couldn't come to confirmation to be confirmed unless parents came to class with you. So we gathered in the fellowship hall. We met on Wednesday nights after supper. We had a supper and then a worship service. And, and then we met and uh, I did a lecture and we had interaction with the people to see where they were. And then when I came to Jackson at uh, the church in Jackson, I did the same thing. But as you know, in Jackson, there are, are more things that distract you from the faith than draw you to the faith. That's just kind of how entertainment centers are in the world, and that's kind of how they're... I mean, you've got to compete in the winter against the ski hill and then all the other stuff that's going on at school. So we decided that the only way we'd get them there is if we fed them supper... And then after supper, we do this thing with parents and kids. So uh, I have an experience in my life that I was a maker and seller of uh, mozzarella cheese, which goes on pizza. So I got in, when I had to sell a pizzeria cheese, I got to be in their kitchen and pick up all the hints for how you make lasagna and how you make pizzas good and all that kind of stuff. So I decided I'd make pizzas for them all. And I always made an extra dose because after our class in another room, AA met. And I thought that pizzas would probably go better than beer <laughs> at an AA meeting. So we gave that to them. So that's how it happened. Now, I had a lady in the parish who came to see me right before it started. And she says, I have somewhat of a problem I have a son who doesn't want to come to confirmation. I said to her, welcome to the world. That's kind of how it is when you're 14 and 15. So I said, bring him in and we'll have a conversation. And I went through the list and listed all his friends that were going to come. And I said, I think you have to give this a try. I think you have to give it a try because somewhere in your life before you die, you will be glad that you had to go deeper into the faith and meet Jesus every day of your life. So he decided he would come. So he came. His mother was so excited about that because she had heard what this class had done for families. And she was interested in trying to get her husband to come and her son to come was two big things. 
She didn't succeed with her husband to begin with, but then he came along. And um, she became a, a really interested person in the class, better than average. And then one day, um, she had an experience that I think changed her life. She was going down the Snake River in a raft in May. And you know in May the water runs rather rapidly from all the snow that comes off. And about two-thirds of the way down the snake on this end is a rapid that's called the Big Kahuna. And uh, you're told to hang on to the raft with all your might so you don't get thrown out. A matter of fact, all the raft companies designate one raft that stands by, on the shore by the Big Kahuna to rescue people in case they fall out of the boat. So in the spring of the year when the water runs, it gets a little treacherous. She got thrown out. And she found herself underneath the raft. And um, she started to swim, and then she remembered. You don't fight the undercurrent. If you try to fight the undercurrent, you'll go down. And so she let the undercurrent pull her up out, and she popped out. She came to class one time, and she says, I have to tell you about this religious experience that I had. Showed these two scribes falling out of the raft and not wanting to fight it and let it undercurrent take you up. And she says, I think that's what my faith is. I fought my faith to try to do it right most of my life. And now I've learned from this class that faith is a gift. And that God, when he goes to the cross, when Jesus goes to the cross, he draws all people to himself. I felt when I was drawn by the undercurrent that I was drawn by the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus Christ. And she believes that it changed her life. When her son, a year and a half later, had to write his faith statement, he um, ended up saying that the thing that convinced him about the importance of Jesus in his life and the need for faith was his mother experience on the Snake River of being drawn by the undercurrent which is God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, drawing us, drawing the faith out of us that has been placed in us as a gift. So have you felt the faith be pulled out of you? Have you had any experiences, or have you had any studies, or have you had any insights to the fact where you felt God pulling the faith out of you and strengthening your relationship with God? If you haven't had that, you probably will have it before you die. And if you don't, I know you will at the point of the resurrection. I can't wait for that big pull. <laughs> when I get there, that he pulls me into that great gift of that faith with him and that relationship with him that is there for us all to see and be a part of that. So every time I go up the canyon and go by Big Kahuna, I think of that lady. She was a school teacher. And I think of the day that she got pulled forward by the power of God to see where all of that may be for her, that great pull of what that may mean for her. And then she tells me about another pull she had. You see, these, we had 11 kids in this class, and I, I had a lady that came to the congregation. I knew her from before, and I can't remember which church, but she moved to Jackson. And um, she wanted to be a youth worker. Well, we were like all churches. We liked to talk that we didn't have any money rather than to ask for money. So we went on that episode of complaining that we don't have money and we can't do anything. So when these 11 kids came to council, 
they said, we have to raise some money to go on this trip. And the council says, we don't have any. And the kid says, well, we're still going. And she said, we'll raise our own. She figured it up and they needed $11,000. They raised 12, all by themselves. And they went on this trip to Central America. I believe it changed most of their lives. This lady's son, when he came home from the trip, his mother picked him up at the airport and he was kind of quiet and then he said when he got to the house, I don't think I can go in the house. Our house is too nice. You don't know, mother, how people live in the rest of the world. I experienced that in Central America. And we are so blessed and we have so many things. But you know what they had? They had a faith like I've never seen and happiness and relationships with one another that just made us as, a, as students that came to wake up and pay attention. They loved each other. They didn't have much, but they cared for each other. And particularly they cared for the senior citizens and it changed his life. He now is an advertising agent in Portland, Oregon. He was a photographer in high school, and that's what he went into. He had a creative mind, and uh, the last time I saw his mom was in the grocery store a few years ago, and I asked how he was doing, and she said, you'd be so proud of him. He's working in Portland as an advertising agent, and the number one thing he does in Portland is to work with the homeless. This kid who didn't want to come to confirmation received the pull, the undercurrent of the faith from other people and from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit, and his life was transformed and changed. I think if we pay attention, folks, we see this kind of stuff happening all around us. We have a tendency in this wonderful country we live in to be somewhat negative about things rather than to look for the pull of God. I have a prayer now that I say every night. I pray that um, the people in this country might be drawn together, that they might see in one another the presence of Christ. And so those on the right and those on the left need to stop hating each other. I only, if it's only for a day, I'd begin there. But we're not going to have a nation, folks if we continue to hate like we're hating. And I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, you just gotta stop doing it. Because I think that's what God's calling us to do. I think it's the need. I'd like my grandchildren and great-grandchildren to have a nation that's a democracy when they grow up. So much for my political stance, I'll shut up now. But it's part of my faith, and I have to say where that is for one another. Well, then, let's go. And, um, you know, we started um, last time we reviewed this in the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, the 14th verse, where Jesus says, I come to bring two new good news to you, to proclaim the kingdom of God has arrived or is at hand or is present. That means the kingdom of God in which we inherit when we die has come here in the person of Jesus. Here and there and now and then, we get to see the kingdom when we sense Jesus' presence or the presence of the Holy Spirit or God working through the lives of people. I think that lady's experience in the Snake River was the presence of God and the presence of the kingdom of God. I think it was in that boy who went on that trip and came back. He was in the presence of the kingdom of God. And I think in those moments that we are forgiven and loved and cared for, or that we care for and love other people, we experience the kingdom of God. So um, I picked some texts in Mark.
Um, and we'll go through those and see where in the world God pulls faith out of people. Okay? Uh, you should all have a magnet at home and a handful of nails. And sometime during your devotion, you should lay them on the table and let the magnet draw to them and know that the magnet is God drawing the faith out of you. That would be a fun experience, particularly if your grandchildren come. You could tell them the story about faith. You know that's your responsibility. That's one of the great things you get to do, is to talk about the faith. You know, with your kids, you might not do too well. You've, you've probably had, you know, 40 or so years or 50, and you might have made it to first or second base, and the spirit has to do the rest. But your grandkids, if they aren't near you, you need to write to them or talk to them on the phone. And you need to talk to them about faith. The pull of how Jesus wants to bring them close so he can love them and hug them and call them by name. Second chapter of Mark. When he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. At his home with like Mary and his brothers and sisters. So many gathered around there, but there was no longer room for them in the house, not even on the front porch. And he was speaking to them. Then some people came bringing a man paralyzed, carried by all four of them. Got the picture? And when they could not bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after, and after having dug through it, they let him down on a mat so the paralytic could lay by Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, that's the faith of the four people. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. So he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, Stand up and take your mat and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately he took his mat and went before all of them. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Wow. Well, here's the Bible study. So I said to the people gathered like you, what jumps out at you as you think is the main point of this story? And one lady didn't hesitate. She didn't even raise her hand. She said it's the fact those four people ripped off the roof with their faith. Because you see, they believed if this person could be in contact with Jesus, he could be healed. So the discussion went on, and the lady says... I think those four people believed for the paralytic. And then the discussion got heated. Some people said, no, you have to believe for yourself. Somebody else can't believe for you. And then she said back to him, he was paralyzed. He couldn't take his step to Jesus. He had to rely on his faith of those four people. So, there was a lady in the class who wasn't a member of the church. I'd seen her on some Sundays. She came with her friends. 
Her name was Debbie. And she came to the Bible class and not didn't say anything. And after this discussion went on, and it was quite heated, I kind of enjoyed it. Because I believe that it was the faith of the four men that allowed him to be saved or be healed. I think that's how it works. That may be a stretch to your mind, but for Debbie it was not a stretch. She says, my friend has bringing me to church for six months. She's been talking to me, I think it's closer to six years, about coming and being a believer. Not forcing herself, but just inviting me. So I decided to come. Not much happened for me. Then she said, well, you come to this Bible study. We ask questions, and maybe you'll get into this. So this is a story that she raises up before she leaves that day and says, I'm the paralytic. My friend has believed for me for six years that there would be something Jesus had to give me. I came not because I believed. I came because I trusted my friend. And I have to tell you, after this day, I sense that her caring for me and being, being here with me, her faith has brought me to Jesus. So do you believe it's possible that at some time in your life or sometimes in the lives of people that they can believe for you? I've sat by many families who have lost loved ones. And I've had some of those family people say, I just can't believe. This is just too terrible, this accident. And why did God let it happen? But their friends surrounded them, cared for them and encouraged them. And I've heard some of them say years later, that I have the faith because my friends believe for me and brought me to hear the story. So do you think it's possible that there are times and moments in your life that someone can believe for you? I would go on record, and you can call me a heretic if you want, but I would go on record as saying I believe that's a Christian truth because I know people who have helped me with the faith when I've had weak moments in my life. And I'll bet there's not many of you out there who have not had that experience also. You know. So, now we have a paralytic who has the faith pulled out from him by four of his friends and the presence of Jesus, who forgives sins and heals him. Wow. Did you know that? You know, that's why we have the church. You can't be a Christian alone. You can only be a Christian because you're part of a community who also believes and cares for you and demonstrates that's why we come to meetings like this. That's why we come to worship. That's why we get on the phone some days when we're having a difficult time and call our best friend. You know what I'm talking about. The words of encouragement from the brothers and sisters of the faith is what makes our faith grow and keep alive. You should thank God every day of your life that you know people who believe in Jesus Christ and want to be your friend. Okay. Moving on to see where God is present. We will go now to the fifth chapter. And we go to the fifth chapter, and it is the pull of God. Which verse is it?
I think it must be 28. Oh, yeah, here it is. And a large, it's uh, verse 24. And a large crowd followed him, that's Jesus, and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured much under the care of many physicians and had spent lots of money, more than she had, and she was no better. So she had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. That's her faith. She believes if she can touch the clothes of Jesus, she's going to be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. She felt in her body that she had been healed from the disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone from, from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see this crowd is pressing on you. How can you say, Who touched my clothes? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, respect, and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed from your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house. Before this, there was a, a I forgot to read this, Jairus came to him whose daughter was really sick and then uh, wanted Jesus to come to heal her and he got sidetracked with the crowd. You still with me? While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the tree teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. Those are important words. Do not fear. Only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw the commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make such a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Tamitha, come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years old. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Two miracles. A pull of faith. Jairus believes that Jesus has the power to heal his sick daughter. And he asks him to come, and Jesus is on the way to come to see him. And then in the crowd, he has this encounter with this woman who's hemorrhaging. And the fact that she touches him is even because if you were, the custom of the Jews is if you touch somebody who was unclean, you were in trouble. 
And if she was hemorrhaging, she was unclean. So she touches him. Do you have faith to believe that's all you need to do? Maybe all you need to do is to touch him with a word of prayer. Maybe all you need to do is to go when you see your friend who has just lost her husband, is just to touch her and hug her. Do you suppose God might work through you in that moment to offer some peace and wholeness and healing? Do you sense the pull of God in the human touch? Have you ever felt really lonely and down in the dumps and your friend comes and grabs your hand and has a cup of coffee with you and you have conversation and you're touched by the presence of God in your life? Do you know what amazing power God has given you as a believer that you get to use in your relationships with other people? This faith is a mighty thing. It may be as small as a mustard seed, but it's a mighty thing. Don't ever underestimate it and begin to use it and participate with it. And you know what happens when you do that? It enlarges. It gets bigger. It gets more real. when you participate with it to see where that is. So we have a little girl who Jesus says is asleep. And maybe she was. Maybe she was dead. Who knows? One of the descriptions of, of death in the New Testament is that it's like falling asleep. And when you wake up, you'll be in the presence of God. Maybe this time between when I die and when I get to heaven, I get to sleep. <laughs> oh, there are days that I think that would be wonderful <laughs> to catch up on a little few winks. But it's the miraculous. It's the wonder that enters your faith mind about how God is able to do some of this. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to wonder. Because part of faith is questions. Did you know that that's what keeps your faith alive? When you have questions about God and things that go on? You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have the Holy Spirit to help you Seek the right questions, be in the right place with the right people. And study his word and feel the pull of God. I sit this close, close to the communion rail because this is one of the places I feel the pull of God when I come to communion to receive Jesus. When I walk by the baptismal font, I feel the pull of Jesus. In the church um, that we were going to, Dee was the secretary there, and I was working for the cheese company, but part-time for the church, Grace Lutheran Church. Our son Stephen was killed in a car accident. So we left a memorial they had just remodeled the inside of the church. And we left a baptismal font in his honor. Sits about like where that one sits in the middle of the aisle so that when you come into church you have to trip over your baptism. Sometimes I think I'm going to sit there with my foot out to trip you. <laughs> Except at our age you don't want to fall. So the baptismal font is designed with a layer of rocks in it and a pump and it has running water. 
as we'll see with the woman at the well, water in the spirit. It reminds us of the life-giving water of baptism that cleanses us and draws us to God to be a part of them. Now they turn it off during church, only turn it on for baptisms because some people had to get up when they walked by it and said in church there was a call to a different room. <laughs> but the water runs when there is a baptism. It runs to remind us of the living water that God has with us and where we are. Okay. Now we will go to my favorite gospel, John, the third chapter, and we'll take a look at two stories that belong together. They appear in series A when we're in Matthew, in the third and fourth Sunday in Lent, the Nicodemus story and the story of the woman at the well. There's something significant about this, that they belong together. They have some differences. One is a story about a man and the other is a story about a woman. The man has a name, Nicodemus. The woman doesn't have a name. Nicodemus comes at night. And in John's Gospel, night really relates to unbelief. And she comes to the woman at the well at noon in broad daylight. And that relates to light and faith and hope. So we will see how they are similar and how they are different. So we will read the story of Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. Just not a normal Pharisee, but he was a leader. He came to Jesus by night. Night and darkness and light make a difference in the Gospel of John. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Now see, he doesn't say that Jesus is the Son of God. He says he's a teacher and the presence of God works through him. Got it so far? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered him, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now the, the word in the Greek means three things. It means above, or born again, or born anew. Now, you all may have had experiences in your Christian faith about people who are born again. How many of you have heard that phrase or had experiences with people? Okay. But it means all three things at the same time. It means born again, born above, and born anew. So that's what we have here, okay? Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? He's kind of a literalist, Nicodemus. Can anyone enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus answered him, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. To be born from above is to be aware that God is a part of your life. I was born in uh, Richland Center, Wisconsin, to two parents, Clara and Jay Schoonover, and I was a little boy. But I was also born of water and the Spirit. I was born the day I was baptized, but maybe I was born of God the day I was born and not aware of it. And it's such an important thing
to be born as a child of God, that you don't ever forget it, so we as a church say we got to baptize you. So you know you belong to God as his child. So Jesus is reminding us that there's two kinds of way to look at life. The way you physically hear and the way that God enters your physical life to be a part of your faith and your spiritual life. There are many who are, are not a part of that today. And we will talk about that a little more later on here. Then the wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, you live in uh, Arizona in the desert, and you should know about the wind. The wind blows where it chooses. So does the Spirit. So does the Spirit. I have to tell you my, I probably told you this once before, but Fred, Fred Craddock says, we seem to tell the Christmas and Easter story every year, and it seems to be important, and it seems to go over pretty good. So you get to tell a story more than once. My baptismal story is, I got in the shower the morning, I shampooed my hair, I soaped up my body, and then I turned the water on and rinsed it all off. I did my baptism again. Luther, uh, the scripture Paul says to us that baptism is a daily occurrence. Every day you die to your old self, that's what you do when you confess your sins. And you arise to the newness of life. So I am reminded in the shower that I'm a baptized child of God. I kind of need these kind of symbols, you know, to keep my faith on, on track. So when we lived in South Dakota, the wind blows more in South Dakota than it does in the desert in Arizona. It's wintertime. And um, I'm in the shower. And my wife is going to come in after I get out of there and curl her hair. Well, there's this thing called humidity when the shower runs for a long period of time. And evidently, she tells me that's not too good for curling your hair. So she flips open the window from the west. It's minus 20 outside. I step out to dry myself off. And the wind of the Spirit gets my attention. <laughs> and I'm reminded that God's Spirit is a part of me and has called me to be his child. That's my ritual. When I played football, we had to do calisthenics before to get warmed up. I had to get warmed up before the day as I take my baptismal shower and I have my little devotion and conversation with God. You can do this, I suppose, if you want to just wash your hands. We used to do that in confirmation. I'd bring in some mud and some dirt, and I'd say to them, see how dirty you can get your hands. So we'd get our hands so dirty, and then I'd say, this is like your sin. Now, if you don't get rid of it, everything you touch today is going to get dirty. So you need to go with the soap and water. You need to go and have your life cleansed by the forgiveness of sins so you're not carrying them around making other people in a bad way. Have you ever thought about that, that that's what confession does for you? It gets rid of all that stuff that sometimes we carry with us and then we touch other people and we bring our baggage to them. So God wants us, and that's why we could do the confession before anything else in church. We've got to get rid of all that stuff so we can hear the gospel. You shouldn't be sitting here listening to all the stuff you've done wrong. You've already dumped it. You've already dumped it. And so you get this fresh beginning and new start. Back to Zacchaeus. 
So it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can this be? And Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive your testimony. If I told you about the earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, that being the Son of Man. And just as Moses was lifted up of the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then here comes the big sentence. Why in the world do you think John 3.16 was there for, for Nicodemus? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not die, may not perish, but have eternal life. And then 17 that we should never forget. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe in him are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the, hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so it may be clear seen that their deeds have been done for God. This is judgment in John. It's not judgment at the last day. It's judgment today and judgment in John. Sin in John is unbelief. In other places in the scripture, sin is missing the mark and going the wrong way and breaking the Ten Commandments and all those kinds of things. But sin in John is not believing. So the judgment comes before you. You have the choice either to believe in the light and to believe in Jesus or not to believe in him. And if you don't believe in him, you bring judgment upon yourself. Does that make sense to you? So it might be a shift for you to think of sin as unbelief. But doesn't that make sense? If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not connected to him, right? And sin is being disconnected from God, or anything that gets between you and God is sin, as we learned in the book of Genesis. And so if you don't believe, that's, what, that's why the Gospel of John is written. All these stories are written, and, and there are more than, than are written down here, he says in uh, 20, 30, 31, that you could, all the books of the world can contain all the things that Jesus has done. So, Nicodemus is told that he needs to believe. Well, what happens to Nicodemus? You think because he came to see Jesus, he's a believer? We don't really know. It doesn't say, does it? Except... In the middle, in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, we see Nicodemus appear again. The Pharisees, in whom he's part of, have decided they want to do away with Jesus. And Nicodemus stands up and says, you need to let him tell you his side of the story. Is that a statement of faith? Is Nicodemus standing up for Jesus as a statement of faith? And then, you know, we ran into Nicodemus at the burial of Jesus. His buddy, Joseph of Arimathea, has a tomb. And he asks the leaders if he can take Jesus' body and put it in this tomb. And you know who accompanies him to do it? Nicodemus. So as Nicodemus, as he pays respect to Jesus in his death, is that a statement of faith? You 
You know, some days we leave church and the best thing that happened to us is we've got the right question to ask. It's not always to get the right answers. It's the right question to ask. So how much faith do you need to be saved? Well, God does the saving. What do you need to connect to him? Let's go to the cross. It's Good Friday. Two thieves, one on each side. The one is bad-mouthing that Jesus isn't doing something to save their lives. And the other thief says, you know, we deserve what we're getting, but he doesn't deserve what he's getting. And then he makes his statement of faith. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingly power. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. That's, we don't know if he had any other experience with Jesus before he got to the cross. But we do know that Jesus is going to have a place for him in heaven. So I don't know what goes on with Nicodemus. I like to think that he probably grew into the faith. Or the real question is, where do you stand? How do you grow more into the faith? How has your faith helped you? How does your faith keep your life centered on Jesus? Wow. Okay. We'll leave Nicodemus now. When you get to heaven, you, you can't take anything with you except I hope I get to take some questions. I hope I get a room one day with Paul that I can have conversation with him. And I'd like a conversation with all my family that's gone there and all the loved ones I've known to say one more time, thank you for helping me with the faith. Because if I didn't have the community of believers to help me with the faith, I would not be sitting here today. It's a group of people that God has put in my life who have helped me understand who Jesus is and what faith is and what hope is and what love is. I think we've underestimated the power of the church, the power of other believers to help us believe. You need to go home tonight Sit down with a paper and pencil and write down the names of every person who in your life has helped you be a believer. It'll be a good exercise for you. Huh? Well, you can do it after the game because if you're a Packer fan, you'll probably need to pray in a way. All you cardinal fans. John 4, the woman at the well. We'll try to get through this today, and if we don't get it through all today, we'll get through it next week when we start. <clears throat> now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus who baptized, but the disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to the Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tired out after his journey. It was probably three days from Jerusalem to Samaria was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came by to drink, draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy some food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of a woman of Samaritan? Jews did not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered him, If you knew this gift of God and who it is that's saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you life-giving water. The woman said to him, So you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give them will become like a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband's. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, if you are our prophet, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you worship the Father neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation has come from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as those to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will things all things to us. And Jesus said to her, now listen, I am he. The one who is speaking to you is the Messiah. Just then, the disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said anything. What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, which is interesting, and went back to the city. She said to her people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on the way to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to complete his work. Do not say, <coughs> Four months more and then he comes to harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is ready receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps, I sent you to reap that you, <coughs> which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Well, we're going to have to talk about that next time. Okay? Yes? Because he says that all the time in the Gospel of Mark. It's a surprise. He doesn't want people doing away with him before he can go to the cross and die. I know that they see her coming out alive. People see that. Yeah, but... Well, he doesn't want... If you progress the Gospel of Mark as it's written... And what it's saying to the people that are there, he is saying to them at that moment, don't tell anyone this, because I don't want people to know ahead of time 
that I am the Messiah because they'll do away with me. That makes sense for the people of that time. Other questions? We have a time for a few questions. Every time I read the story, I'll get right to you in a minute. Every time I read the story of the woman at the well, I get some new insight. I've probably been reading this story for over 60 years. And every time I read it, I'm at a different place on my faith journey. There's different things happening in the world, right? So you had another question. Do you think God sent them to your, by your table? you think that was a messenger from God that came? Well, you shouldn't feel bad. We had a group of pastors when I was at the church in Jackson that got together every week to talk about the text. And I had just come from breakfast at a place where about six people came in, just like you're describing, with tattoos. And uh, I don't want to judge him. So I get off judgment by saying, my observation was (laughs) that I don't understand why they do this. And two of the pastors took me on task. They said, don't you know that those people are expressing themselves with their identity by their tattoos? That's a way of them expressing themselves. Maybe people say that about you because you were a cross. You know? We are both saints and sinners at the same time, folks. If you're a Lutheran, you need to understand that very, very clearly, because Martin Luther understood that. And so, uh, I have a part of me that would like to be judgmental. Sometimes it emerges out, just like when I'm on a diet and not to eat Haagen-Dazs ice cream. It seems, this week it jumped out of the ice cream counter because it was on sale, five for two thirty-nine. That's cheaper than an ice cream cone. And I paid for it this morning because I got up and checked my blood sugar and it was high. No, I... uh, To admit that we have done that is what we call confession. And confession is essential to us all. There is something that all of us do that is sinful. And if you think not, then you're like the Pharisees and you're better than anyone else. And you're bringing judgment on yourself. Other questions, comments, thoughts?
we should leave on a different note than being judgmental. <laughs> you understand how God pulls, Jesus pulls the faith out of you? I thank God that you all came today. And I thank God that he didn't leave the Holy Spirit out of this building today. And I thank God that you're going to go home and make your gratitude list for all the people that have taught you the faith, if not today, because you're too interested in the game. You can do it. I just would encourage you to do that. Let's say a prayer, okay? We thank you, God, that you always come before us to challenge us, and you come before us to inspire us, and you come before us with this wind that blows the new spirit and new life and love and forgiveness into us. We're grateful and thankful for your word and for your word that became a person in Jesus and for the communion of saints and the fellow believers in the world that inspire us to be witnesses for you. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus who said, this is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks.